This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The 3-0 Show. Uh, It is September 28th, Thursday. I'm Bridget Rowley, here with Eno Saris. Still missing our third wheel, no, our our star of the show, That's Derek Van Riper. Our uh, excellent co, our leave. excellent host. <laughs> yes, for another couple of weeks. So bear with us and all the awkward pauses and transitions. Uh, you know, first off, a celebrity among us. Those those of you who have not really been on Twitter much, uh, get on it. Check out the article on Eno Saris. That was just terrific. I mean, it wasn't just terrific because Derek and I were quoted in it. Um, <laughs> that only added to the value of this piece. But no, it was such a it was such a great story, you know, about your journey and the unique role you fill in baseball media, and of course, beer. Um, it was it, it was really awesome. I hope you're going to print it out and and keep it and, and do something with it because uh, it was very well done. the The thing that was so awkward about it was leaving the narrative of my life almost in someone else's (laughs) hands, you know? And I think the lesson for me in that piece actually, and I, it's not a lesson that I've not learned before, but it's something that, um, I, that really is is struck home with me, um, is twofold. One is, um, you know, we have a large responsibility when we write about players, we are, we have, we're taking their life's narrative into our own hands. And, um, and I can see how that can be nerve wracking because he wouldn't even let me give him names to contact. You know, he he was researching me without my help. Uh, so it was very much yeah. like, you know, what Brian Roth was like, who he was going to call and who's going to who's going to end up in that piece was was nerve wracking to me. Um, and so, you know, that piece over good beer hunting, I thought that they did a great job. And, you know, I was no I didn't need to be nervous, but it was I was I was nervous anyway. And the other thing, uh, just a, a sort of a, a little sad moment, but uh, I lost my uncle this week, and um, and it was a, a short but a terrible battle with cancer. And um, you know, I got the news the same day this piece came out, and just the fact—it's one of those weird things that happens in the cosmos, I think, where just the fact that that piece had just come out, and I'm reading about myself in this way and thinking about my uncle. Um, I really put some connections together between him and myself that I hadn't thought of before. He is the most gregarious person in our family. He's the most welcoming. He's the most positive and optimistic uh, person in our family. And uh, he was really sort of important to me when I came to this country and came to my father's family. Uh, he's my stepfather that he was very welcoming and and uh, I didn't realize how much I had in common with him. So uh, it was one of those sort of sad, but happy uh, coincidences. Um, so yeah, quite the week. <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry for your loss, you know? Um, yeah. It, you know, if you haven't, if you're listening to the show, uh, hug your people, hug your people yeah. for sure. You just never know. Uh, but really check out that article. If you're interested in a little bit of an unorthodox, uh, baseball career or route to a baseball career, if you will. Um, but there's literally nothing unorthodox about this MVP race, especially in the national league. As we get into it, uh, Ronald Acuna jr. As we record this on Thursday, uh, Wednesday night, he swipes two bases, gets himself into the 40, 70 club. He's already part of the 40, 40 club. Only the fifth member 
in part of that club. And that's, you, a, that's a crazy list. What do you think um, about them stopping the game to celebrate that? I think it's a, I think it's a little I weird considering it. he already had 40, 60. He's already a, a one person yeah. club. Are you going to keep adding like every 10 stolen bases? You got to have another party or whatever. I don't know. Well, he didn't, well, he's not going to get 10 more stolen bases before the season's <laughs> over. And he didn't celebrate. I was in DC and they didn't stop the game when he hit 40. So I think this was uh, the only time he really celebrated. And, and it was at his home people, park. It was a chance to celebrate yeah. his season in his home park. And it wasn't his yes. choice. It was definitely not. I'm not putting it on him. It was it was the team's well, choice. He did take the base out. And so there was going to be a little <laughs> brief break after he stole the second base plus in the air. Um, and I think the crazy thing, and he, um, and I got to see him, like I said, in D.C. last week, he didn't believe really he could get to 40-70. So I think getting to 40-40, um, you know, hitting the 40th home run, he had the steals well before that, being the only person, as you said, in the 40, 50 and 40, 60 club. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people thought 70 steals was possible to go with 40 home runs. And I don't care how big they make the bases and how they change the rules. It is still really impressive. I'm not one of those people who's going to sit on my front lawn and say, well, somebody could have done it if they had changed the rules, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, no, I think this is remarkable. One, that you hit 40 home runs. Two, that you're on base enough to steal 70 bags outside of your home runs. Um, and I know Mookie Betts is having a great year. I know it's going to be a really crazy MVP ballot. I just don't see, you know, how you can't give it to Ronald Acuna when you look at all of the components. And we're not just talking about the 40-70. I'm talking about run score. I'm talking about hits. I'm talking about OPS, like the whole nine yards. What is crazier to me, and no one's going to talk about this, Matt Olson is going to lead baseball in home runs and RBIs. He may finish outside of the top three in MVP voting. In what other universe would that ever happen? We have yeah, too much I, I, good baseball. We have too many good players. I think he'll still win. Um, and uh, I had a little note in my piece today. One one thing I do uh, want to point to is Mike Petriello had a great piece about how Acuna Jr. cut his strikeout rate in half. And that's just uh, another yeah. remarkable piece of his season. And the way he did it was improving against fastballs and particularly turning whiffs into fouls, which is kind of cool. Like he's now like a gritty out on top of having plus bat speed that can turn you you know into 40 homers he's also improved his his plate discipline since he first came in the league so he's really uh done that troutian thing where he's like identified some holes in his game and closed them up which i think is the superstar gene you know it's like the one one thing that really separates those top uh of all times from even the, the greats in their at their time so um, you know, I think Acuna season's one for the ages and, you know, I am a war guy and there are some wars, you know, wins above replacement numbers that have, uh, bets ahead, but I wanted to point out in my column today that they have them ahead by like decimal points and war is not really designed to be that way. It's more of a sorting mechanism. There's a thing on the Fangraph site that even says that, you know, somebody that had 7.2 versus somebody that had 7.1, that's not really a big difference. It's more of a, if you have seven wins, you're different than a four win guy. That's, that's, it's more of a sorting mechanism. So when I look at the MVP vote, and I don't have one this year, but if I had the end of MVP vote, I would look at that as a tie in war. And then I would look beyond war to make my decision. And part of the reason is, there's such a widespread in defensive numbers. There are defensive numbers that say Mookie Betts is the best second baseman in baseball this year defensively. There are, there are numbers that say he's like 21st. There are numbers that say that, that Acuna Jr. is the 21st best outfielder this year. And there are numbers who say he's 36th. 
and even the park factors. There are numbers that say that the Atlanta park is the ninth friendliest for hitters. And there are numbers that says 19th. So I, I kind of sometimes you, you like you can adjust the OPS for parks and I makes that's what you do in war. But if you like want to look past war, maybe you look at the raw numbers because you just look at the raw numbers because you're not entirely sure how the park has contributed to Acuna's, uh, you know, offense. Um, and so when I do that, uh, you know, I kind of hew closer to the raw offensive numbers, given that I think it's a tie between Betts and Acuna by wins above replacement. So who would you give it to? I give it to Acuna. Yeah, yeah I think I so think, too. I mean, barring I, anything I, crazy by Betts here, the last, what, five games, four games, um, it's just, I don't know how you don't. And what's so interesting, you mentioned, um, that he's just gotten better. It's not just the numbers, his chase rates way down, um, strikeouts. I was talking to Ron Washington, who's been in baseball for 50 years, uh, you know, part of Brian Snicker's staff there in Atlanta. And he said, he's never seen a more impressive, productive thing for the team than what Acuna has been able to do. And I, I think you have to look at that and say, yeah, I think he's right, right? This guy is just playing at such a high clip. Being the best. And, and you know, uh, I have some here for narrative, too. Like, when you have a tie, there's you can put some narrative in there. And for me, the, there's a narrative here of being the best hitter on one of the, maybe the best offense of all time. There's a great Jason Stark column about uh, about how the Braves offense might be the best of all time. So, uh, and, there, and I noted my piece today about why that might be from Matt Olson. But still... Uh, just generally the narrative lines up, the offense is better. And, uh, I think it's just an iconic season. So, yeah, for those who aren't aware, the other four members of the 4040 club, uh, the highest previously was Alex Rodriguez with 46 steals. So Cunha above and beyond that Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, Alfonso Soriano on that list. Mm. So a very interesting list. And what's so fascinating, I find, you know, is, uh, and people had mentioned this uh, as well when I was around the Braves is how much longer can Acuna steal this clip? Because you look at those names I just mentioned, like A-Rod and Canseco and Bonds. And, you know, as you get older, you have to conserve your energy. Right now, Acuna is 25 years old. So he has the ability to go out and do that. So, you know, when he hits 28, 29, does he say, you know what, 25 steals is good enough for me? Right. Does he tail it back? So I think what you're seeing here is not only in an extraordinary season, but the product of age, the product of health, a lot of people yeah. in Atlanta feel like the first couple of years Acuna came up, he was so wildly talented that he kind of just got by on talent alone. Then he had so many injuries. He misses the World Series, right, with the knee. Um, he dealt, dealt with a hamstring issue. Even last year, his knee wasn't right, so he wasn't really able to run like he could. And people think that kind of drove him, that he actually was like, wait a second here. If I work hard, I can be even better. And he kind of mm -hmm. just didn't take it for granted, right? He kind of used that talent and was like, wait, I can be better if I just put the work in. And that's what he's done. And it's scary how good he is and healthy mm -hmm. at 25. You're just starting to see it. Because remember a couple of years ago, people were like, who do you want in your organization? You get one player, Acuna or Soto. And there was like a good case for both those guys. And right now, Acuna has a, is a clear leg up, right? Mm -hmm. On Soto, if you're starting an organization. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's a testament to some of the things outside of just what you do at the plate. I mean, the added defensive and, and base running, that's something that Soto has fallen off for Soto. I mean, he does not look good in, in, the, in the field and uh, and base running, he looks 
much slower than we one thing that's interesting about Acuna for me is that he's not one of the top five or ten uh by sprint speed in in the big leagues he's in fact only in the top third of the of the league in in terms of sprint speed so some of this is willpower him just wanting to steal those bases in terms of efficiency he's at league average league average is crazy right now it's 80 percent but he's at like 81 percent so you know it's like he's right there um and uh uh it's more about him just wanting to do it and the team being being cool with it so at some point there is a relationship with age and production in terms of power and what the team wants out of you and how how healthy you can stay while doing that. Mike Trout stopped stealing bases mostly because he started getting hurt doing it even. Um, and they and the team would rather hey we need your slugging we need you in there to hit, to hit those homers a little bit more than we need you running around the bases. So it is a it is a confluence of age, athleticism, and team factors. I, I do wonder how long he's going to continue to do this but since he's starting at such a great height i figure it's like 70 and then it's like 50 and 40 and 30 like you yeah. it's like it, it'll go down maybe at some point he'll he'll jump all the way from 30 down to, to five or ten a year um but that's just how base stealing goes i i, I you know, I don't think he has so much power that I don't think he's going to feel the need to steal bases the same way Ricky did all the way through his career. Um, but it'll be interesting if he just if he's more like Ricky and, and he just wants to steal bases his whole career. Like it's not always just how fast you are. It's how you know the game um, and how you pick your spots and, and how much your team lets you be aggressive that way. What's so stressful, I think, about the MVP voting, whether you have it or not, is that it's 10. Like, I think we can all agree on maybe a top five. Mm. But then five to 10 is when you're sitting there and like the years I have MVP, I'm all like, this matters to guys, right? This is in contracts. Guys get bonuses, not just for winning MVP, but I don't think people realize um, for just being listed in the top 10, lots of times guys get money. So it's so stressful that seven to 10 when you're looking yeah. at it, because the case can be made for so many guys. But this year in the NL, like the top four guys, as we just mentioned, could be MVPs in almost any other year, right? You could really. Right, Matt Olson has 53 homers. <laughs> it's incredible, right? Like, and, and it's incredible that we're sitting here and we're not debating him at all in this conversation. He's not one of these two horses. Yeah. Um, and the year Freddie Freeman has had. I think um, it's easily the first 2020 season from a first baseman or first 300 2020 or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just remarkable. So I hope people realize kind of what a special season that we've seen from, from some of these guys and just in general, what a special season we've seen. You know, you look at the rookies of the year and you look at some of the guys who aren't going to win rookie of the year. Terrific talent. We talked last week about guys who aren't even going to be mentioned in the rookie of the year who are just really good players. So I think we should look at 2023 as just this like really great season that we enjoyed a lot of really good baseball. (laughs) Offensively. We enjoyed a lot of really good things. Yeah. But then, of course, if you're listening to this and you're a, a Giants or a Padres fan and uh, you're like, eh, wasn't that great? <laughs> um, which maybe it is, maybe it's not. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Illinois. I read a really interesting article this morning on The Athletic by Tim Kwamakami saying, you know what? Bob Melvin should be the Giants' next manager. <laughs> and I thought that was fascinating because I didn't realize Bob Melvin had such ties to the Giants. He played there. He apparently has some in with part of Giants' ownership. Um, you know, he obviously does well, really well with an analytically driven front office. He worked incredibly well with Billy Bean in Oakland. Um, they're very Farhan Zaidi, very analytically driven. I feel like we should mention that Gabe Kapler is signed for next year. And the front office, the ownership has said that they will both be back, Kapler and Zaidi. But it's I haven't seen this before, you know, and you're in the Bay Area. And I'm curious if you think that like this should happen at some point, because there is Definitely rumblings out of San Diego that Bob Melvin may not return. Um, I don't think it's expected, but it also wouldn't be shocking. Um, so how do you look at this? Could this happen? I know people are upset about Kapler, but they're also upset at Zaidi because the Giants have really failed to improve and have really underwhelmed ever since having that kind of breakout year a couple of years ago. So did you read that article? And is that just like, you know, a, a wild guess or is it something that you're like, make sense at some point down the road no it's it's a great idea and it's born of the fact that we just had this series between the giants and padres that was wild i went to uh the first game snell against webb uh as a fan uh and there were some comments by logan webb afterwards about how the clubhouse wasn't being accountable and you know too much too much like sort of playing cards and 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 uh and being okay with losses in that clubhouse so an indictment of the clubhouse culture and then I covered the next day as uh, as a writer and asked Gabe Kapler, uh, you know, if there was a relationship between comfort and accountability, if it was OK that they were playing Bob Marley after losses and, and playing cards or or if there was uh, you had to be uncomfortable with losses. And he kind of, you know, did not like that question and said that, you know, that's uh, not talking about the real uh, issue here. The real issue is process and being ready for games. And duh, 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 duh. Uh, you know, no one cares about what music is played after games. But uh, then in the third game of the series, we saw, uh, no, actually that same night, we saw Kapler go out on the, on the field and try to take John Brevia out of the game. And John Brebbia uh, is joking about, if I hold your arm down uh, long enough so you can't call the reliever in, the umpire is going to come out here and make you go away and then I can stay on the mound. So Brebbia is joking and Kapler is smiling, but the, the situation looked intensely insane to me. That like both people, like that the smile was like a Cheshire cat, like you just nervous smile. There was actual sort of physicalness between them. There was a physicality between them where they're holding each other's arms. It looked tense. And I've also been around both these teams recently and all the coaches are on edge. They're paranoid. All of them think they're going to lose their jobs. There was another report today that from on the Padre side saying that, uh, you know, Peter Seidler hopes to retain Preller and and um, uh, 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 and Melvin. Melvin? Yes, oh, okay. but but I have to say that I saw some post game press conferences from Melvin that were more checked out than I've ever seen. I Bob Melvin has coached teams that lost 110 games, and I've never seen him checked out. He said something like, "Well, I guess that's what we're doing now." You know, like he like he he had this super weird countenance, and Kapler himself had more of a like you guys are like a little bit more of a defensive posture. So paranoia runs deep. There are changes coming. Maybe they both get one more year, 
but there's some similarity here where the coaches are on the, the hot seat. Zaidi has not fired a lot of coaches, so he might be able to fire a coach, a manager, and 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 get another one. Uh, Preller has fired a ton of managers. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if he can this just fire five. another manager. Yeah, how yeah. can you just fire another manager? And be like, okay, the sixth one. That's going to be the one that works. So. Yeah, lucky six in ten years too. I don't think people <laughs> yeah. realize it's not like Preller's been there for thirty years. This is yeah. would be his sixth if they change in ten years. Um, but Preller is signed very long term because he signed that extension last year, right? Like a five year one, I think, something like that. Yeah. Um, at the end of the winter. So, so fascinating. I mean, all things equal, you know, if said if nobody had guaranteed money, which we know matters to some ownership groups, paying guys, buying off their contracts, would Bob Melvin be a better fit for this Giants organization? One thing that Kaplan does well is he's in lockstep with the front office and, uh, and and sort of creates processes well. He has like a whole spreadsheet that sort of, you know, uh, lays out all the different things that all the co- he has a huge coaching staff. He manages a huge coaching staff really well. Um, one thing that I am not getting so much from him is a sort of sense of calm um, and uh, maybe great communication with the players because we've had some grumblings, you know, from Giants players about their roles and stuff like that. And, and we've got Logan Webb speaking out in a way that I have not heard a lot of people speak out in Melvin-led clubhouses before. So um, I think some of Melvin's strengths are different than Kapler's, and you could uh, you could see that being a good fit, as in like, hey, we're going to be a team that does weird things. The A's were a team that, you know, they were pretty platoon heavy. They did different things to to get the most out of their roster. Maybe Melvin would be a good match because he would he would stay in open lines of communication with the players better in some way that like made them feel better about these roles they were in. So that's a, that's a possibility that that would be a good fit. I think the problem in uh, in San Diego is is Preller's leadership style. It's you know, he goes around his coaches, he goes around his, uh, you know, his entire organizational tree and just calls people. He calls players directly. He texts players directly. So if you're Josh Hader, there's this big thing about Josh Hader saying, I don't want to go in for four outs. Well, if you're Josh Hader and you actually have texted AJ Preller recently and Bob Melvin is telling you something about, you know, hey, we want you in there in the eighth. Does AJ Preller want me in there in the eighth? You know, like that's what happens yeah. with if you start calling people around leadership, then people say, you know, oh, are you does AJ say this or are you my boss saying this? You know, and then that creates this confusion in the organization. And that's definitely something that was true when we wrote about AJ two years ago and true now in that recent Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn piece about about the organizational structure in San Diego. Yeah, he's such a lightning rod, right? I think um, certain facets of the organization is brilliant. I think people people know how much he likes baseball and he loves to win. And I think a lot of GMs, you can't say, are quite as competitive as he is, right? Um, they Good have a big eye scouting for staff. Yeah, they have a huge scouting a lot of staff. Guys. Yeah. Uh, people that work under him on the scouting side think that he's collaborative and he wants to hear everyone's opinions and, and maybe he trusts them. Maybe he doesn't, but he makes and you think feel like you're important. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then the people who work more on the baseball on field side, and totally analytics. different story, right? Yeah. Totally different story. So it's so fascinating to me. Like if, if they're going to keep Prowler and they're going to keep Melvin, do they have to add a layer between them? 
they have to add a buffer? Do they have to put someone above AJ? Right? Like what, what I don't know, but it seems like the way this structure is gone. And as you mentioned that the terrific Ken Rosenthal, Dennis Lynn piece on this recently on the athletic, it said it, it just can't be fixed this relationship between the two of these guys. And, and, and listen, we're you, all adults. He's not going to change the way, no, no one's going to fundamentally change at this stage of their lives. So yeah. how do you, if you keep both those men and run it back, and the Padres are playing very well right now, as we record this, they're like clinging, clinging to a, a Best team in baseball in September. Hope. Yeah. You kind of have seen, oh my God, they were going to be really good if they yeah. had maybe done this in August. You know, they're yeah, just too right. late. Um, they're going to be eliminated if like three things happen tonight. One of three. Uh, yeah. But they did finally win an extra innings. So they got that going. Got oh, the there, that's right. Uh, yeah. But you look at the team and you're like, you can run it back, but you still need to make a few tweaks here and there. And one of their guys in their ownership group, or I think it was maybe their CEO said on a, a radio station in San Diego, like, we're going to audit. We're going to look at this organization. So maybe they do bring everyone back and they add a piece here and there. They add a buffer. Um, you know, they, they do something that changes. But you, I mean, if, if AJ at there. the top, the field staff is just, he, the, the, the hope I had was that he would trust Melvin, you know, and let Melvin mm -hmm. lead the field staff. But if he doesn't trust Melvin, who's he going to trust? You know, like if he's going to go around Melvin, then who's he going to, who's he not going to go around? You know, is he going to yeah. put Buck in there and, and not go around Buck? I mean, maybe, but you know, is Buck available? I don't know. And, and it's. But is Buck any point. better than Bob Melvin? Like, and it, you know, I think he's a. I think Buck's a little less inclined to listen to the analytics. That's been part of the pushback of him in New York. Was you know he thought he'd have a little more control than he did. Um, well, maybe and, you know, yeah, right. And and is Buck gonna shine, sign up for that again? Like, you know, he thought right. he'd have more control than he did, and then he went there and he's like, oh, okay, the analytics guys. At least going to San Diego, maybe the analytics guys wouldn't have as much control. But AJ would, you know. So yeah. does he really want a GM telling his players what drills to do in the field? You know, that's that's going to annoy any manager. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's just not a good management style. Whether you're working in an office or leading a baseball team, right? Like no one likes that that micromanaging style at all. You've got to delegate. And that's a you've little bit about people. what's. That's a little bit what's happening with Kapler is that the players feel micromanaged, right? Yeah, the players feel totally. like. You know, you're you're gonna slot me in for you know two innings in the middle of the game. I'm a, I'm a starting pitcher. You know, uh, what happened? I, you signed me for three years. I'm a starting right fielder. You know, like why am I you know not playing today against a, a against a left hander or like you know what I mean? Like there's all these you know machinations that you know players just don't know what their roles are. I, I could see that being in order for that to work. You really like that's happened before with the A's where people didn't know what their roles were, but Melvin. I, th I think I heard one or two players in the time that Melvin's with the A's that were like, you know, I don't know what my role is, you know? So that's a real testament to Melvin's ability to communicate. Totally. And I think losing brings that out too. Both these oh, teams yeah. are winning. You kind of overlook some of this stuff, right? There's that old big sage, you know, quote you often hear that winning cures everything. And it does, yeah. right? The, the problems weren't fixed last year when the Padres were good, right? It's just they're not good this year. So everything's going to spill out into the open. So it's, it's, it's fascinating when you look at it. And as I said, the Padres kind of clinging on in that NL wildcard race, but you know, over on the AL side, we've got some movement here over the, since we last recorded, it was more of like a log jam. And now we are seeing Texas has had a terrific week. Um, Seattle really stumbled playing Texas. They really struggled. They were out pitch. They're out hit. 
Um, you know, you kind of look like now we've got the Astros and we've got the Mariners. And it looks like one of those teams is going to be the wild card team. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be a wild card team. They celebrated last night because the Orioles' magic number, as we record this on Thursday, is one. So the Rays are like, well, we can't hold out for a division celebration. So they just celebrated last night because they're off today. They can all be hung over. Actually, a really good idea. That's really funny. Um, they just they yeah. were just like preemptively, okay, fine. We'll they're celebrate like, all now. Right. You know, <laughs> all right, fine. We're not going to win the division. Like, yeah, let's do this before the off day, which I thought was kind of nice. You know, they, yeah. they get to celebrate making the playoffs five years in a row. Tremendous accomplishment um, to everyone involved in that Tampa Bay organization, given the, the payroll and the constraints they work with in that small market and all the injuries they had this year that we've detailed so many times on this podcast. But you look at it, Eno, and this isn't the Houston team that we're used to seeing. And for they Seattle... They got swept by the Royals, man. That was crazy. Yes. And then for Seattle, it's like they either look unbeatable or like they'll never win a game again every time I, I watch them. There's no in-between. It must be heartbreaking. It must be so hard to be a Seattle fan. I mean, they're one of the few teams that hasn't made the World Series and they've been improving. And every year you could be like, oh, this and this is this. This is good. We're getting better. We're getting better. But they they just can't make that hump. In August, they look like the best team in baseball. And and now uh, they had this tough series against the Astros where the Astros just look like they, you know, had better starting pitching for the most part, uh, you know, better hitting in terms of being spread across the lineup. You know, uh, you know, there are more holes, I think, in the Seattle lineup. And so, you know, the Mariners are now the ones that are on the outside. They've got the smallest odds. Um, at the same time, I can't count them out. I mean, Julio Rodriguez was so hot. And, and that staff is, I think, one of the top three staffs in baseball uh, in Seattle. So uh, just a, also just a, a weird uh, bad blood between the Astros and Mariners. They, they are some teams that are really tired of each other. There was a lot of chirping about being hit and then Hector Neris was uh, sort of celebrating in, in Julio Rodriguez's face. And, um, you know, I think a lot of teams don't like the Astros, but the Astros and Mariners in particular are, are glad to see the, each other go uh, in different directions. But the tough thing for the Mariners is they pull the Rangers uh, for the end while the Astros, I think at the D backs, uh, the backs are a good team, but uh, the Rangers are a better team. And so, uh, yep. You know, the, the Seattle's going to have to overcome some odds here to 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 make it to the postseason that I think uh, probably has the most juice in baseball. Uh, the only the only other, you know, the, the decision is Astros or Mariners and then the the, the final NL wild card, uh, the, the Cubs or the Marlins. Those are the, yeah. uh, the the final two races, basically, that are left on the on the docket for this weekend. Um, yeah. To me, there's clear favorites. The Cubs are the better team. Uh, then the Marlins, I think there's some schedule stuff on both sides on both of these issues. Uh, I think the Astros are, are just slightly better team uh, in that race. Uh, do you see that as the Astros and Cubs being the favorites or do you do you have uh, one of the other two uh, teams uh, coming out, uh, coming through within the end? Well, my only thing is, so if you look at it right now, Texas is up two and a half in the West. Mm -hmm. Now, if they clinch the West early and they could, right, because you look right do those last two games become rest our guys, you know, kind of gimme games. In that case, 
like Corey Seattle Bradford starts, have. or they call a guy up from the minors to start, or they, they yes. you know, they just like they sort of mail it in. They put the hangover lineup in. They 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 do the celebrating with the champagne, and the next day it's all rookies and backups in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm trying to look and see what their magic number is, but if that is the case, because they have the head-to-head tiebreaker against the Mariners, the magic number is two to clinch the AL West. So as we tape this Thursday, they could clinch. By Friday. Now, if that happens, Seattle may have the upper hand scheduling wise, right? Mm-hmm. And the D backs, on the other hand, are playing for their lives. I mean, they 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 are yes. they are one ahead of the Cubs, but it's not like they're a lot of the head of the Cubs. If they if the no. D backs lost, you know, three of the next four, they might not be in the playoffs. So they're not necessarily going to play the hangover lineup. They're not necessarily going to just put teams out. You know, they're going to try and win each of these games and make it in. So there is something to that. Yeah. Not as hard as you would think if Texas clinches early. Um, Yeah. So, and that really depends now because they're playing Seattle. They could win the first game. And that really is also not great for Seattle. (laughs) Yeah. It's mostly Houston. So if Houston loses, Texas wins. Texas clinches the West. Now there's three games left and Seattle could take those three games. Yeah. So this could be a little closer than we think because Texas may say, well, shit, we're in. Let's rest our starters. Right. Um, And so I think it could be. What if Texas prefers seeing one team or the other too? You know, they're like, hey, we're (laughs) in the playoffs and we'd rather not run to the Astros again. So, you know, let's let the Mariners in the back door. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because you know, there's going to be a hangover game, right? So they clinch that one you almost always lose. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It could be a little bit more interesting than we think. I agree with you. I think the Cubs are a better team than the Marlins. Uh, I also think there's a lot more pressure on the Cubs, Mm. a lot more panic. They've been, they had what looked like it locked up. Then they had this huge slide. Now they have like the front Some office really and the president talking about plays in the yeah. last couple of games that were just like, oh no, if we don't make the playoffs, that was the play that we're all going to remember. It. Exactly. And so now you have like bit high ranking members, of the Cubs organization addressing this that's going on, this like spiral. Meanwhile, the Marlins are like, well, no one expected us to be here. We don't get a lot of attention, right? Like, could they sneak in? Maybe wouldn't surprise me. Um, like there are some yeah, a lot who's of things even that, starting for them. Right, I there mean, are a lot of things that hurt the Marlins. Really hurt. Number one, their best pitcher is hurt and out for the season. I do um, like Edward Cabrera a lot. I mean, he he's he's wild, but I I think he's got great stuff. And then Jesus Lazardo is capable. So the you know they just threw Braxton Garrett, and they were really mad about the yes. uh, the Mets not putting the tarp out and part of that is because Braxton Garrett could have pitched the final game of the season on regular rest if he'd gone regularly on Monday but he was forced to go in a doubleheader because they didn't have the tarp on the field during the weekend when it was raining and so they couldn't recover the field in time for Monday Um, and and the quotes from both sides are like sort of clear to be like I'm not mad at the Mets I'm basically mad at the Mets ground crew. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's borderline malpractice, honestly. Put I mean, the if tarp you know on. everyone knew it was going to rain through the weekend. It was a tropical storm. I mean, they it the the tarp should have been out all weekend. So I know. You know that's... And then once it starts raining, doesn't someone say, let's go put the tarp on? Well, I guess they said that at some point they put the tarp on over rain. 
So, you know, there was some sogginess underneath that didn't dry off. So there is like, you have to take the tarp off to let it dry. If you put the tarp on over water, it's going to be muggy underneath. I don't know. I'm not uh, actually on a ground screw. And so I don't love putting the ground screw uh, to test like this. I, you know, they know a lot more right. about it than I do. But at the same also, time, don't they follow orders? Yeah. yeah like, right. I, I don't want to put this that. on the ground screw. Yeah. Since one of the Mets like high up and like let's tarp it it's gonna rain right, right or mlb yeah. or you know what i mean like, i don't know i'm not sure i'm blaming the poor guys rolling the tarp out like come on but it was but the, if i was a marlins fan they had every right to be angry yeah, that was an so entirely the, avoidable situation and, and the flip and, and the result for the marlins is they don't get braxton garrett again they have to find uh, somebody else to pitch other than Edward Cabrera and Jesus Cesardo. But just having Edward Cabrera and Jesus Cesardo ready to go uh, gives them, the, I think, probably the advantage in two out of those three games. Um, and uh, so I think the playoff odds actually favor the Marlins by a hair. What do we have? Fangraphs has Marlins 69%, Cubs 30%. So, wow. Uh, yeah, the Marlins the, play? Par- oh, they play Pittsburgh. They play Pittsburgh uh, and the Cubs. So yeah, they have a four. They're playing a four seventy four team, and the yep. and the Cubs are playing a five forty seven team. So who are they playing? Who's five forty seven? Let me see. Cubs are playing. Mm. Who are they playing? It's not the Astros. Mm. Who are the Cubs playing? Yeah, yeah, Cubs schedule. schedule. My schedule thing won't load. I don't know. Yeah, I got it. Braves. No. Nope. Oh. Brewers. Oh. They just Brewers. finished. They had one more of the Braves today, and then they finished the Brewers. Um, I mean, Brewers could be setting stuff up. Like, if you have Woodruff or uh, Burns or Peralta, do you necessarily pitch them in that last series? Yeah. So you can say that the 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 regular season winning percentage is this and the brewers are this good however the brewers are just setting up and also would you throw uh, peralta uh, or 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 burns or woodruff against the cubs um and then throw them against the cubs again like 2 days later in the divisional series in the wild card series you know, that's how it's right. going to line up if the cubs make the wild card you see them again so uh, there's a really interesting thing. It's like, do the Brewers want to knock the Cubs out of the playoffs uh, by showing their best pitchers? Or what happens if the Cubs win enough, make it to the playoffs, and then they've just seen Cur- you know, Burns, uh, Woodruff, and, and Peralta, and, and you've used them. So uh, the Brewers have a lot of questions to, ask, to answer. And you know, this is why looking at full season numbers and being like, you know, oh, you know, the, the the Cubs are facing this good of a team that we've talked about this a couple of t- different ways. Yeah. Now. Like you don't know, you don't know what lineup the Rangers are going to put out there. You don't know what, uh, you don't know what pitchers you're going to see in the final three days. So really could go either way. Yeah. Speaking of the Brewers, they're kind of my pick for, and I want to get your opinion on this, a team that could, a sneaky team, a team that could do better than we expect in the playoffs. Um, so obviously Atlanta Braves are probably the only team off the table here. I think a lot of people just have them penciled in uh, all the way to the World Series. Um, I like the Brewers, you know, for a couple reasons to overperform, because I think when you look at teams, pitching and defense matters in the playoffs. Their defense, no matter what you look at, several different statistics is the best. They're the best team, playoff team defensively. That's also, true. that pitching staff. You look at it, you've got Woodruff, you've got Corbin Burns, you've got Freddie Peralta, you've got Wade Miley's probably going to go into the bullpen for the DS, and their bullpen is really good. 
So their offense is always an issue. It is always like a, can they be good enough to not be a liability? And if you look at what their offense has been doing, they have been doing enough that's going to come down to, in my opinion, still, if the lineup can kind of hold serve so they don't lose games one to nothing. But I do think the Brewers could be a team that at least gets out of the DS and could go a little bit farther than people expect. Uh, do you have a team that you feel like, hey, you know, this is a this is a sneaky good team here in the playoffs? Well, I, I have one piece I wanted to uh, throw people towards. Uh, there's an interesting piece by Dan Zimborski on Fangraphs, the which teams are best built for postseason season success. And one thing that he did was uh, kind of shrink the, the the rosters to just the players that will play in the playoffs, which I think is something that might resonate with you having covered those nationals where, you know, they had a bad bullpen going in, but they yeah. just shrunk, they just shrunk their roster and we're like, yeah, we're not going to use those guys. Um, so when he did that, the best teams uh, in terms of playoff roster strength were the Braves, not too much of a surprise, Houston Astros second, little Ooh. bit of a surprise that, that you know, yes. that if you shrink that roster, you get a lot better. Uh, the Dodgers third, not a surprise, um, but then the Mariners fourth. Uh, so I wanted to highlight that. The Phillies uh, then are next in a sort of uh, three-way tie. I wanted to highlight the Phillies because I'm not sure that projections are going to, uh, or, or that even thinning that roster is going to be that great for them because I think they might have the best bullpen in this uh, in this postseason. One of the reasons that I think that is not just Craig Kimbrell or Sir Anthony Dominguez or uh, Soto or Alvarado, but also Jeff Hoffman, who you know used to be a bad starter, but rediscovered a new slider in in, in Philadelphia and has been nasty uh, out of the bullpen. Matt Strom is pretty nasty, and then they have this guy Ryan Kirkering who throws a hundred and has an 89 mile hour two plane slider and nobody has seen him because he just tore through the minor leagues and he's pitched two innings in the big leagues this year. So that bullpen to me goes six deep. So if you can take, you know, Taiwan Walker out in the second inning, or if you can get four <laughs> innings from Wheeler or five yeah. from Nola and feel like we've got nastiness after nastiness from left and right coming out of the bullpen, that shortens the game and we're talking about strikeouts and that takes some of the pressure off of the bad Phillies defense. I mean, it is a bad Phillies defense and there's no way you can cut it. Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber uh, in left and right might be the worst defensive outfield pairing in baseball. Uh, but you can put one of those guys at DH some games and you can rely on the pitching staff to strike out a bunch of guys They've improved the infield defense over time. And with jo Johan Rojas and Brandon Marsh out there, the outfield defense can be a little bit better. This team is good. This team is really good. And it, it gets lost because they're not a division winner. They don't have the best offense of all time. They don't have the best starting, you know, starting staff in the big in the in the playoffs. They might have the best bullpen in the playoffs. This is a team that can go to the World Series. And this is a team that can win it. So I, I'm gonna throw the wow. Phillies out there as a as all a right. team that could that could get there and people aren't talking about it enough. I think uh, that's a good one. I also struggle to believe there's a more clutch hitter than Bryce Harper right now. Right? Like the guy just dials it up. It's, it's incredible to watch and you know, he's going to dial it up this year for the playoffs like he did last year. So I don't, you know, there's no tangible way to put that into a sheet somewhere, except that's like the last guy on the planet you want to face in a big spot in October. So 
I like that. It's so funny because remember for years and years, the Phillies bullpen was just like the subject of ire. Um, just it felt like for several seasons, it was like, oh, God, hang on. Here comes the bullpen. Um, and to have such a strong bullpen heading into October, like you said, it's a game changer. It You know, you can it, it's going to be so interesting to see how they deploy that bullpen and how they, you know, how they maneuver. And you're right, the, the Braves have kind of dwarfed everyone else in the National League. It feels like we're just talking about the Braves and everybody else. Um, but, you know, the Braves have some holes here. Charlie Morton is hurt. Um, they're dealing with some pitching issues. Morton's not going to be available. Um, and then they also had an issue with Freed and the blister, and that he is going to be available for the playoffs. Um, but not for- maybe the first series. So for their first yeah. series, I think they're down uh, Morton and Freed, which means... Some Bryce Elder, who I don't think is that great. And yeah, Strider. Be, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot on Strider winning his game and then finding their way through with their bullpen, which is there's their bullpen is good. And then also slugging. They're going to slug their way through yeah. it. But the Dodgers also have their issues where Bobby Miller is going to be starting game one or game two. Um, and so, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some issues there with both of the top teams. So I think the Phillies could get through, uh, a note on clutch real quick. Uh, this has a, been a thing that I think is super interesting that stats have not, I, I want to be careful here. Stats have not been able to prove clutch exists. That does not mean clutch doesn't exist. And, you know, I've talked to people like, uh, I was talking to Brett Phillips and he's like, if you could put a heart monitor on us. Uh, while we're at the plate, you'd tell that some people were stressed out more than others. Um, and some people just have a a low heart rate when they're up there. Uh, we do have a, we do have a stat that looks at who does better in clutch situations. It's called clutch. It's on fan graphs. Bryce Harper is number two in baseball this year, uh, behind of all people, Ezekiel Tovar. Uh, but, uh, that he's definitely been, uh, second most uh, clutch this year. The reason why people say, you know, we're not sure clutch exists is that, um, you know, season to season, uh, he's clutched this year. People aren't as, as clutch the next year. So if you, if I do like a three-year search for the most clutch people in baseball, uh, Harper does not show up on the first page, weirdly. But yes, I agree. I think he's super clutch. So I think that there's something there in terms of the research that they're missing something or they're not measuring the right thing necessarily. They're just looking at right. these small sample results. I mean, if you look at the last three years, the most clutch players in baseball, nobody would, nobody would ever just guess this. Tommy Edmond is number one over the last three really? seasons. Harold Castro is number two. Chaz McCormick, Jock Peterson, Carlos Santana. Uh, it's a weird it's a weird group of people. Yeah, so. I think it's very subjective. Like, what is clutch? Clutch to me to find might be different than you, right? Like, and also, do you get bonus points for the game? Like stakes, regular season, different level is, yeah. of clutch. Then the World Series, right? Um, elimination game, different level of clutch than game one in a seven-game set, right? So I think that should be baked in. It's just a very complex thing. Um, yeah, and and and, and like postseason numbers are never in these because yeah. it's unfair to put postseason numbers in because some people are just not in the postseason, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then those postseason numbers are small samples. So that's why postseason numbers aren't in there. But I would have to figure that if you put postseason numbers in, Harper would do better. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's something that people yell at stat people about. I, I, I understand it. I think that there's a definite possibility that clutch exists. The other thing that I would say is it's a possibility that all these players are clutch to some extent, because if you're not clutch in college, you know, if you're not performing in big games in college, do you get drafted? 
And if you are in the minors and you're not clutch and you can't perform in big moments, do you get, you know, get moved up? When you look at players in the big leagues, they're not part of a bell curve. They're already all the guys all the way out here. They're already the best of the best of the best. So maybe they're all pretty much clutch. And, you know, maybe there's not that much of difference between Tommy Edmond and Bryce Harper and, you know, let me just do the other side. Let me do unclutch over the last three years. The least clutch over the last three years. Oh my God. Who is it? No way. Paul Goldschmidt, number one. Marcus Simeon, number two. I wish we had more time in the season for someone to just find Paul Goldschmidt and be like, what do you think of being the most clutch? Juan Soto, number three. Cal Raleigh, number four. Cal Raleigh had one of the biggest home runs in Seattle history. And number five is Will Smith. Number six is Austin Riley. It's so weird. Like, I just, it never lines up with what you think. So I, <sighs> I, I mostly don't cite that stat because, you know, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't line yeah. up with what people think. But I, I also, I just agree subjectively that Bryce Harper is clutch. So I, that's part of the reason I'll put the Phillies, Phillies on my dark horse list. Yeah. Well, speaking of clutch, we're going to get to see a whole new stage of that by the time we tape this again next week the alds will be going on the wild card will i guess be well the alds won't be going on the wild card the wild will cards have will be started yeah i'm getting my weeks wrong that october we'll 7th is when we really get into the ds yes we'll kind of know what's going on we may have a series over uh we we certainly have a lot to digest to talk about um how the season ended for some of these teams who's in who's out who's going home there will maybe be... we'll have some final day firings of managers you know, yes there'll be some lots stuff. of stuff there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. So we will see you back here. Not sure of our exact playoff schedule yet, but you will see us in your feed at some point in time. We may adjust depending on these games and what's going on. But um, it was great, as usual, talk baseball with you, Eno. Derek Van Riper will be back with us in just a couple of weeks. I'm Britt Giroli. He's Eno Saris. You can follow us on Twitter at Eno Saris, at Britt underscore Giroli. If you don't already, you can read our stuff on The Athletic. Uh, there's always a deal going on. I think right now it's $2 uh, introductory for the first year per month. You can read Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, just the whole all-star of, of writers there at The Athletic. So check it out. Give us a rating, review, shout on Twitter, and please read the fantastic piece on Eno Saris. Take care of yourself, guys. Have a great rest of your week, and we will see you back here next weekend. Thanks, Good Beer Hunting. Thanks, Brian Roth. And uh, you always got the green light here. Green light 3-0 and she's gone!